0: morning. You know, I've been gone for a few weeks. It's great to be back, but as I uh, got a couple weeks of rest, went away with my wife on vacation, also had a very large test, and now it's a very important test. Some of you, well, some of you remind me often that I'm not yet ordained in the Presbyterian Church USA, but I'm in the final stages of getting ordained. Yes, I'm your pastor and head of staff (laughs) But I have a couple more steps to officially get ordained by our denomination. So I had a huge test this past Wednesday, and as I was driving down, I called Mike Mizrahi, who's the chair of our pastoral nominating committee that, that recommended me to you all. Remember, you actually voted me into this, so you're stuck with me. This is your choice. You voted me in. But I called Mike on the way down. Of course they do it, down by LAX. I got to drive down to LAX, and I call Mike, and we're talking, and I said, Mike, um, what if I don't pass this test, you know? And he says, Pastor, don't say that to me right now. (laughs) I said, you might have to chair another PNC if I don't pass this. He says, don't say that to me, Pastor. But I think it went very well. I have yet to receive the results, but I felt very good about it. But my last step, if you could be praying, Six days from now, on Saturday morning, I have my oral exams, I get examined on the floor, Uh, basically they interview me in front of a group of people, and I love this. The location of that is actually where my spiritual journey in some ways began. And it's in a church on the campus of the University of Southern California, and some of you know my story. And though I was raised in a Christian household, it was on that campus, the group of college students who were part of this church showed me what it mean, what it meant to basically make my faith my own. And so here I am, continuing my spiritual journey by going back on that campus to be examined, to be ordained. My mother-in-law calls that a God wink, that God just winks at you and says, hey, I, I was taking care of you back then at USC, and I, I still am, so just trust me, I'm going to walk you through this. I'm a little nervous going to that, so... I appreciate, appreciate your prayers, but we started a brand new series if you were here last week. How many of you just show of hands that are in the room were here last week? All right, so for those of you that couldn't make it, I want to let you know you can go online, you can download it on iTunes, you can get the podcast. It was a great beginning to this sermon series. Pastor Kenyon Barber started the series, and in fact, through this whole series, I'm going to have every single one of our pastors play a part in preaching one of the services or one of the sermons over the course of the series. And as you look up on that screen, and for those of you that have seen this, we're talking about identity, the unchangeable truths that define us. Now, identity, I know, you know, it's a slippery thing when you talk about identity. I mean, trying to answer the question, who are we? I mean, what does that mean to say, who are we? Who am I? Who, you know, who are you? Who are we? That's That's a slippery thing. It's hard to really grasp. It's hard to sink your teeth into the topic of identity, yet perhaps there's no greater topic that changes how we see ourselves, how we see each other, the decisions that we make, the, the choices of how we interact with one another. And before we talk about what we're going to do as a church, which I know many of you are, are, are waiting. You want to hear, okay, what are we going to do as a church? What's our vision? You know, I want to do something for Christ. What does it mean for us to do something to make you know, L.A., the greatest city uh, in America for us. So what does that mean? What do we have to do? Are we going to do something different? Are we going to do that? What, what are we going to do? Well, before we talk about what we're going to do, we need to talk about who are we going to be because I could leapfrog over the topic of being just to doing, and we can roll up our sleeves this afternoon if we'd like. But if I leapfrog over the topic of being just to get to doing, I think a lot of our doing will be like a, a hamster wheel, just, just endlessly spinning circles, not being able to accomplish the thing that God wants us to accomplish. So before we talk about what we're going to do, let's, let's for a few weeks talk about who are we going to be. And I think one of the, the irreducible truths as to who we are as followers of Christ is simply this, that we the church are defined by the reality of who Jesus is. And you know, in some ways it's, it's easy to talk about doing, but it's so hard to talk about being. And so as a communicator, as a teacher, as a pastor, I'm always looking for ways to communicate, you know, what does it mean for us to be? And really there's only one experience in my life that, it, I'm sorry, it's gonna be the only illustration, perhaps I'll be able to use the rest of my life on the topic of being. It actually happened on a beach up the coast about two years ago. In fact. Before I was here at Bel Air, I was at a church called Calvary Community Church. I even have some friends who drove all the way out visiting here. And I was, I was there. I was a high school pastor for many years. And during that time, as I mentored high school students, I remember there was this one time that I was interacting with a young man. He was a cross-country runner named Jordan. And we decided we were up uh, at this beach up the coast called Leo Carrillo. Just, again, show of hands. How many of you know of that beach? Ever been to that beach, Leo Carrillo? Okay. Gorgeous State Beach, and as you go north on PCH past Malibu, you'll, you'll round the curve and you'll begin to descend, and you'll see off to the left this just gorgeous cove. The surfing's great at high tide, I mean, it's just gorgeous. But if you go there on low tide, if you were to park and if you were to make your way across and if you get to the beach, and on low tide if you were to walk towards the Pacific Ocean, you would find that you were able to walk to the right around the rock outcroppings. And again, you can only do this on low tide. And as you came around that right-hand corner on the tip of the point, past where all the servers are, as you go around that point, there's actually a cave. And again, you can only get there on low tide. And so I took Jordan there. We were there on low tide. And we walked in and we ran in this corner and we got inside this amazing, it's a sea cave. And as you get down, as you crawl in, it goes all the way back, all the way back almost to the ivy in the back of this sanctuary here. And as we crawled back in there, it's, it's just so amazing. It's this, this natural acoustic amphitheater. There's just this sand below you, the, the rock above you. The light is shimmering in, bouncing off the Pacific Ocean. You can hear the sound of the waves crashing. You can hear the kids and the people laughing and playing. You can hear the seagulls off above. Just this amazing moment, right? And I'm sitting there, and I must confess, I didn't intend for it to be a really deep spiritual question. I just said, I I simply asked him the question, I asked Jordan the question, I said, what did this cave have to do to become a cave? I mean, it's kind of a, I know. His answer makes the question sound brilliant, (laughs) but I did not intend the question to be brilliant. I just said, you know, what did this cave have to do to become a cave? And he looks at me and just like that, he says, "True. all this cave had to do to become a cave is simply to allow something greater than itself, more powerful than itself, to shape it." Whoa, dude, okay, tell me more. he says, well, (laughs) now I feel like, yeah, I'm the mentor, right, you know, I meant to ask, no, I didn't mean to, but he answers this and he goes into detail and he begins to say, well, you think about it, I mean, this rock was here, who knows? thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds, millions of years. We don't know how long this, this rock has been here. And as the tide comes up and it goes back down as the storms, the great Pacific Ocean, infinitely more powerful than this rock, has plummeted its force into it, shaping it, breaking it, molding it, forming it. And so this cave, it really hasn't done anything to become a cave on its own. No human has created this cave. The cave didn't say, okay... I want to become a cave. It didn't click its heels to become a cave. He didn't say that I'm adding that right now in this moment, but he simply said it allowed something greater than itself, more powerful than itself to shape it. And that Pacific Ocean, you know how powerful that is to shape and is continually shaping. That cave has been shaped even more since the last time I was there. It will continue becoming more of that cave. Now, the same is true for us. What does it mean for us to be the church? It's simply to allow something greater than us, more powerful than us, to shape us. And so this entire series, we're taking a look at that one, the one powerful figure, infinitely more powerful than the Pacific Ocean, Jesus Christ. When we put our faith and trust in him, shapes us, transforms us, molds us to be the people that he wants us to be. So again, before we talk about doing, we've got to be like caves as it were, to allow Jesus to shape us. So last week Keenan started us off and we took a look at scripture. If you, again, I'd love for you to go back and listen to that in 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about Jesus being the head of a body and therefore we are members of the body of Christ. And so today we're gonna take a look at what it means for Jesus to be the son of God. And therefore as a result then, what it means for us to be siblings of the son. So if you have your Bibles or even if you didn't bring them, there's some pew Bibles right in front of you. I'm going to have it up on the screen as well. Why don't we open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 8 verse 14, the Apostle Paul begins to share a little bit more about what it means for us to be. Before he talks about doing, he talks about this concept of being. Who are we? What are we about? What are the unchangeable truths that define us. And so I'm going to start in verse 14. Again, those pew Bibles, it's on page 919. This is Romans 8, 14. This is God's word. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption, when we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Paul continues on, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. This is God's Word. So again, let's be be caves for a little bit. Let's be ones that allow something more powerful than us to shape us. And so first we have to take a look at what does it mean for Jesus to be the Son of God? You know, as humans, we understand son-parent relationships, perhaps some of you uh, immediately half of you in this room, you kind of check out because you, you say, well, I'm, I'm not a son, I'm a, I'm a daughter, so I don't like that, that language. Uh, or you might say, well, I don't like my relationship with my parents. Or you might have a son or a daughter, and you might say, well, I don't like that language. And, it, you know, we bring our human brokenness, our, our finite mind to God's Word, And so in some ways, we have to allow him to kind of wash us away of our broken understanding of human relationships, to even understand this concept of Jesus being the Son of God. So as we encounter scriptures, we encounter those truths, God begins to reorient us to take a look at what this perfect son and father relationship look like. And just one of those is actually found in the Gospel according to Luke. In fact, in Jesus' baptism... He's actually being baptized and Luke who's very detailed in his writing says that as Jesus comes up out of the water there is the Holy Spirit who descends in bodily form like a dove and there's this voice from heaven and this voice from heaven in some ways kind of mashes up two verses of Scripture from the Psalms and from Isaiah. This is God the Father speaking and in this public arena People here, I can't imagine what this would have looked like as the spirit of God is descending in bodily form upon Jesus who comes up out of the water. Behold, this is my beloved son. With him, I am well pleased. Now that is nowhere close in the English to how beautiful and rich it is in the original Greek. Greek. Because in the English, we have, we have three tenses to our verbs. We have the past tense, we have the present tense, and we have the future tense. But the Greek, ah, ha, ha, they've got an eternal tense. It's beyond the past. It's beyond the present. It's, it's beyond the future. It's not bound by time. And so this verb that God the Father uses to speak to Jesus, this is my beloved son with him, I'm well pleased, is a timeless verb. And God the Father is saying to Jesus, I have always been pleased with you. I am pleased with you. And I always will be pleased with you. And it reminds us in that moment that this man, Jesus, is actually much more than just a man. He's fully man, yet fully God at the same time. has existed eternally with God the Father and God the Spirit. And we took a look at even in this last series of Emmaus, how through all of Scripture, all of it points, the written word points to the living word that is Jesus. And so we get this snapshot in the moment of an eternal relationship of which God the Father has been perfectly pleased with God the Son. And I find it so fascinating, this is before Jesus performed any miracles. He has no disciples. There's no schools named after Him. There's no hospitals named after Him. There's no... No parents have called their kid Jesus or Jesus after him. I mean, I mean, he hasn't done anything in the eyes of the world that would cause a father to say, with you, I am well pleased. And yet God the Father says to God the Son, oh, you are my delight. You are my love. And what's even more amazing than that is that perfect relationship, which as humans, we can't even grasp, we can't even understand. God the Father and God the Son in this intimate, beautiful relationship, they say, we wanna extend this relationship to others. And even as we sang in that that last song, Forever, it tells this story of the, the relentless and reckless love of God that he allows even this perfect relationship to seemingly be broken as the Son of God goes to the cross to invite us in and so the Apostle Paul is saying because of what Jesus has done because of the links that the Son of God went to we too can be adopted into God's family and all the rights all the privileges all the inheritance everything that goes to Jesus actually goes to to us, when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, and some of you might say, "Well, well, how does that work? I mean, that's Jesus. I'm not perfect. I, I didn't live a sinless life. I, I mean, I, I haven't done miracles. I haven't raised people from the dead. I can't even, you know, do my taxes. I can't balance a checkbook. What are you talking about? How, how does that work? Well, Scripture says that when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, when God looks at you, He looks at you as in Christ." And we don't have time right now, but I want you later today, this is your your little assignment, go to Ephesians chapter 1. Just read the first chapter later on and read through and circle perhaps every time it uses the phrase in Christ. And Paul says that because you're in Christ, you've been adopted into God's family. Because you're in Christ, you have this inheritance. Because you are in Christ, ready for this, God looks at you no matter what you did last night no matter what you did last month, no matter the things that you have not yet done that you wish you did, God looks at you in Christ and says, I have always been pleased with you. I always have been, I am, and I always will. And when you can grasp the truth of that reality, that you are adopted into God's family, you don't have to do that to become that, but you receive that by faith, then out of the overflow of that relationship, then you can begin to actually do the things that He wants you to do. So why don't we go back to this passage and we're gonna take a look at just three takeaways, three things I want us to put in our pocket, to put in our purse, our backpack, into our hearts, into our minds that we'll take away with us. What does it mean for us to simply be, to be siblings of the perfect, beloved, Son of God. Let's start back again in Romans 8 verse 14. For all of you who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, for you did not receive. Now pause there. He's saying that this Spirit is something that you have to receive. It's not something you have to earn. That's the first thing that I need for us to take away. So for us to to be the church, to be Bel Air Presbyterian Church, to be the church that God wants us to be. First, that we need to understand as siblings of the son, we have to first, we have to be chosen. We have to be chosen. Now, I remember as a kid, I, I, you know, i line up on the Maybe some of you have experienced this too. You know, you'd line up on the playground and you know, they'd be playing kickball or, or whatever the game was. And there'd be like the two super athletes, right? And they'd be there and they'd be like picking the teams. And you'd be like, you know, pick me, pick me, you know. You know? Like in high school, you're still doing that. You know, you kind of do it even as you go older. You know, you're, you're trying to get the job or you're trying to find the partner. You're trying to find whatever it is. And you pick, pick me, pick me, you know. We want to as humans to be chosen. And so the world tells us that you have, to, you have to measure up, you have to do these things, you have to own these things, you have to have this reputation that you've got to get your LinkedIn profile all together, you've got to get all these things, you know, you've got to, you got to get your best photos on your profile pic. I mean, don't just choose the one that you did the selfie. I mean, do the professional one with the lighting and do all that, you know, you've got to do all these things in order to be chosen. As human beings, we long to be chosen. And it's so easy for us to take that worldly desire to want to be chosen and to, to kind of supplant that into our spiritual lives and so we try to do things so that God will choose us. We try to show up to church We try to maybe read a certain amount of scripture every day. We try to have our quiet time We try to sign up. We try to fill up maybe three backpacks instead of one and we try to do these things We say God would you just choose me and so much of the world religions Is this endless pursuit of trying to be chosen? But scripture reveals a very different way in fact to be chosen by God is the simplest thing imaginable. It's not measuring up, it's not a lifetime of trying to be obedient, it's simply simply this. To be chosen by God is you simply choosing Jesus. That's it. I mean, there's, there's, if I had a sermon on what it means to be chosen, it lasts five seconds because all it is is just to choose Jesus. Because when you choose Jesus, when you receive him by faith, when you say yes to him, when you say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my savior. I want to follow you. I I want you to be my everything. I don't even know what that means, but I want you to be my everything. In that moment, God chooses you. You are adopted into God's family. He gives you a spirit that Paul says here is a spirit of freedom. It's not a spirit of slavery. And in the same way that parents choose who they adopt because you know how it works, you know, kids don't choose their adoptive parents. It it doesn't work that way. The parents choose their adopted children Or or they hire an agency to do that choosing for them. When they show up, they make that choice and it's actually a beautiful picture. It's beautiful imagery that Paul gives that the scriptures use that God actually chooses you. And all you have to do is to choose Jesus. There's this old illustration that, you know, if you want to come into the the household of God and it's like you're walking up to a doorway and there's this great big doorway and on the outside of this doorway there's all these scripture verses that say, you know, choose Jesus if you put your faith and trust in Him. Basically all these verses that, you know, you've got to choose, you've got to make the decision. If you just choose Jesus then you'll be let in. So you say, okay, I'll choose Jesus, and then you open that door, and now all of a sudden you're in, and then as you're now inside the household of God, you look back on that same doorframe, but now on the inside of the doorframe, it says another scripture truth, that no one comes to the Father unless the Father draws him near, and you realize that both of those things are true at the same time, that yes, you have to choose Jesus, but he's been drawing you all along. He's been putting people in your life. He's been even using creation to remind you of his qualities, his invisible qualities. So simply, when you choose Jesus in that moment, you are chosen. And the same way in our, in our society, when someone is adopted into a family, there's paperwork, there's a, a seal of, of the, the government. I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I haven't adopted anyone, but, I, but there's a seal, and I, I, I've seen this. Somebody's shown me, there's like this seal that they put that makes it official. Through the state, And scripture says that in the same way that you are sealed permanently, forever, for all of eternity by the Holy Spirit. And once you've been chosen by God through faith and trust in Jesus, you are forever part of God's family. You're forever adopted into God's family. But there's even more. In fact, as we go back into Romans 8, and if you closed it, why don't you open it back up? And this is Romans 8, going into verse 15. For you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, this isn't the great band from the, the 70s and 80s, Abba. This is, this is an Aramaic term. And it's, it's, it's beautiful language because literally in the Aramaic, in this ancient language in which Jesus spoke, the, the, the term Abba literally means Papa daddy. And every single one of you has somebody in your life, whether it's a parent or a grandparent or, or a child or a, or a spouse or a close friend or a partner, whatever it is, you have somebody close in your life in which you have a term of endearment that you give to them. And it's a term of intimacy. It's a term that perhaps nobody else uses. I have a, I have a son. He's two. He's going, on, he's going on 21 though because I get him in the car and every time he gets in the car he says, I drive, I drive, I drive. <laughs> He's in the back seat, he's two years old. I don't know if it's because he got his cast off, if he thinks now he's got the, the freedom to do this, but every time we get in the car, he says, I drive, I drive. He's two going on 21. And as I look back and I, says, I say, sweetie, oh, little guy, monkey, come on, sweetheart, honey. I'm like, these terms of endearment that I have for, for my son, my, my neighbor doesn't call him sweetie, they call him by his name, Judah, Right? Uh, we've got terms that we give people, and uh, there's nothing more that that swells my heart than the moment when I come home and he comes racing around the corner, Daddy, you know? I love that. It's It's this intimate term of endearment. You don't have to have a father. You don't have to have a son. You know what it's like when you have somebody close to you, and you have a term of endearment for them. Well, Scripture says that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, when you are chosen into God's family, you're adopted into God's family, This powerful being that created all things, that spoke things into existence, that's more powerful than anything we could ever imagine actually invites you to call him Papa, to call you Daddy. And this leads me to the second thing that I want us to take away, not only that we need to be chosen, but second, that we need to be loved. Now I'm not saying to be lovable. Because that's often automatically where we go in our culture today. We think that to be loved, we have to be lovable, and we're told that you have to measure up. You've got to wear the right thing. You've got to, you know, say the right thing. You've got to cook the right meals. You've got to have the right job or drive the right car. You've got to be lovable in order to be loved. But Scripture says, no, 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 no. Even in your most unlovability, that's when you're the most loved. In fact, God's love for you transcends even your thought of trying to be lovable for him. There's this beautiful part in Scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 7. When Moses is talking to the nation of Israel, this is God's people of which we have been adopted into as followers of Christ. And Moses says, okay, nation of Israel, do you know why God loves you so much? It's, it's, it's not because you're more powerful than the other nations. It's not because you're mightier or stronger. It's, not, it's got nothing to do with all these things. But do you know why God loves you? It's because he loves you. And if you follow the logic of that that thought, it's mind-boggling because he loves us because he loves us. Well, yeah, why does he love us? Well, because... Because he loves us. Yeah, but why does he love us? I mean, what do I have to do? Scripture says he simply loves you because he loves you. And Paul gets even more specific in the book of Romans, of which we're reading from. He says that God actually demonstrates his love to you. He doesn't just think it. It's not just a thought. It's not on like a coffee mug like I love humans. Literally, he demonstrates his love to us in this, that while we were still sinners in the midst of our brokenness, while we were the most unlovable, Christ died for us. And so this perfect relationship with God the Father and God the Son which God the Father said to God the Son with you I've always been pleased. He says let's extend this love to anyone else who wants to be a part. And so Christ dies so that you might be brought in. And so to be the church that God wants us to be before we do anything for him we've got to be siblings of the son we have to be chosen by choosing Jesus and We've got to be loved by simply just receiving the love that God wants to lavish upon you. And I imagine that some of you in this room, perhaps like me sometimes, we don't feel lovable. We don't feel like we have earned God's love. But God says, my love transcends that, is bigger than that, more powerful than that. Later on in Romans 8 in this chapter, this scripture says, there's nothing that can separate us from Christ's love, nothing outside of us nor inside of us. Will you saturate your life in the truth that you too are beloved of the Father when you put your faith and trust in Him? Let's go on here. This is Romans 8. Now in verse… We'll continue on in verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If in fact we suffer with him, so we may also be glorified with him. I consider, Paul says, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with anger longing for the revealing of the children of God. And this is the last thing that we have to receive, not just that we need to be chosen, not just that we need to be loved, but that we need to be... Okay, now bear with me here. I've made up a word, okay? And it kind of went okay in the 9 o'clock service, so I'm hoping the 11 o'clock service will give me a little grace here. I've made up a word. There's no English word that I can find that really communicates what I'm trying to communicate. You might blame it on the fact that I went to USC. Now, Some of you might blame it on the fact that I didn't get into UCLA. Whatever it is, or maybe that I'm not yet ordained. Maybe you think once I get ordained, okay, then I'll finally be able to come up with the, the right English word. But I'm making up a word that we need to be siblinged. Now, what I mean by that is a lot of us love to be adopted. A lot of us love the fact that we're chosen. A lot of us love the fact that we are loved. But often, we don't realize the necessity and the truth that when we're adopted into God's family, we at the same time get a father who loves us eternally, perfectly, but we also get brothers and sisters as well. Now, there's this, there's this kind of thought, very popular thought right now, among Christianity in the US. And it's basically summarized in this statement, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. It's a very popular thought. It's, it's this idea to put it in this terms right here. I love being adopted by the Father, but I, I can't stand the brothers and sisters now that I'm in family with. I mean, they, they, they have different viewpoints than me. They're, they're, they're challenging, I, I just don't like them. In fact, I just want all the blessings, all the relationship from God the Father. I want to be chosen, I want to be loved, but I don't want to be siblinged. Maybe you'll come up with a better word for me, but that's what I got, at least for today. But the truth is that when you're adopted into God's family, you're adopted not only as a child of God, but you and collectively we are children of God. You can't have a relationship with a father without having a relationship with his sons and daughters. John is very forceful about this. In 1 John 4, he says that we can't say we love God and at the same time say We hate our brothers and sisters. In fact, it says it doesn't work like that. And he goes on. He says, how can you say that you love God whom you can't see, but you can't even love the people around you who you do see? You see, in order for us to be the church that God wants us to be, not only do we have to be chosen by choosing Jesus, not only do we have to be loved by just receiving that, but we have to be siblinged. And we have to begin to put into practice what it means for us to love our brothers and sisters Around us, And, you know, in our human relationships, we do this, all, we kind of give grace to crazy Uncle Mike, you know, always, oh, well, he's our uncle, you know, and he comes to Thanksgiving dinner or whatever it might be, and he comes and you kind of, you put up with them because it's family. How much more infinitely so should we in our spiritual family invest even beyond putting up with one another? In fact, there's over 50 verses in Scripture that often are called the one another verses. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Lift one another up. Bear your burdens with one another. That's what it means for us to be brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. And so Jesus is our, is our brother. He's the perfect model for us in that relationship, that perfect relationship. He invites us into, and we become brothers and sisters with one another But let's finish this again, this passage in verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. And that phrase there, take a look at that phrase, eager longing. Now that's, man, the English is just not cutting it. That eager longing, is, it's, it's, such a, it's such a soft, it's such a weak, it just doesn't even paint. Eager longing, I mean, there's movies that I get more excited about than just eager longing, right? There, there's, there's new music coming out, and, you know, a new CD coming out, a new album. I get eager longing. It sounds so, yeah, right? But in the Greek, it, it literally has this image of this. It says, for the creation. And by creation, Paul is saying that everything that God has created, in fact, you look out this window to your left here, and even as you leave today, you've got this oak tree, and you know through that gray, you know that there's some mountains, beautiful mountains. And as you look throughout this beautiful state, wherever your drive home is, you're going to see some great creation, beautiful creation. Perhaps you'll catch a sunrise tonight. You'll see birds in the air. But what Scripture says is that all of this, all that God created, In English, it says eager longing, but literally it says that the creation is on tiptoes waiting for the children of God to be revealed. Do you realize that all the things that you find beautiful in this world are actually on their tiptoes, literally waiting to see God's sons and daughters? And so when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, we experience a snapshot of that, but there's gonna be one day in the new heavens and new earth where we are gonna fully experience and see what it means to be sons and daughters of God. I have a son, which I talked about a moment ago, that loves, he loves dump trucks. And there's something about dump trucks. Every Friday, you know, he hears it. He, he's got this like crazy hearing. I, I can't hear it. And he can hear it. And all of a sudden, a dump truck, you know, and he goes running, right? He goes running. And he goes into our family room and he, and he crawls up onto the couch and he pulls apart the blinds, right? and he's looking out the window, but at his height, you know, he's really small right now, and and he gets up, and he's not going to be able to do this much longer. He's going to grow out of this. He's going to be too tall for this, but right now, at this perfect age, I see it. Oh, dump truck, and he runs in, and he gets up the couch, rips it open, and he literally, he literally, I'm not making this up, he gets up on his tiptoes, and he leans out, looking down the window, down the street, waiting for that dump truck. And I watch him do this, and it's so fascinating. I think about this and what Paul says, that all of creation is on tiptoes waiting for the children of God to be revealed. And as I watch him do this, and maybe this is odd, but I, I let him do it so long that he's like watching out the window on his tiptoes, and his calves begin to quiver, literally. Like he's on his tiptoes that long, and he's not that strong. He doesn't do like leg lifts or anything or calf raises, you know, so they're quivering. It's only like five seconds. I'm not like some crazy parent, right? It's another five seconds, right? And they're quivering. And so then he says, let's go, let's go. And so I grab him. We go outside and I throw him on my shoulders. and We're on the street. And I'm like, how did you hear that? It's like on the next block over. Finally, it makes way. He's like, dump truck, dump truck, dump truck. He's on the shoulder and finally it comes down and he's waving and the dump truck guy's like, all right, like, and he's obsessed, right? And he's like, again, again, again. And I'm like, okay, wow, you like dump trucks. You're on tiptoes for dump trucks. You know, scripture says that even though someday you might feel like a dump truck. You might feel not worthy of attention. You might not feel valuable. You might not feel worthy. You might not feel like there's people coming out to, to eagerly see you, to celebrate you. Well, actually all of creation, Scripture says, is on tiptoes, eagerly anticipating, eagerly waiting for the children of God to be revealed. What a thought. And that just reflects God's character. Scripture says that it's God's desire that not one should perish. God perhaps is on tiptoes waiting for us to simply choose Jesus to say yes to him, to put our faith in him, to trust him, to, to be chosen, to be loved, and even to be siblinged. So Bel will we be that church? Before we do anything, will we be siblings of the Son of God? Will we be defined by the reality of who Jesus is? Will we be shaped by something more powerful than ourselves? Would you pray with me? God, as we allow these thoughts to tumble around in our head and make their way into our heart, I pray that we would continue to listen uh, through music, through prayer, through through Your Word, these truths that You love us with an unrelenting love, that the depth of Your love is deeper than our our greatest low point in life, and Your love is higher than the greatest accomplishment we've, we've ever attained, so may we rest in that love. And out of who we are in You, Jesus. Would you empower us to be the people that you want us to be and then to do the things that you want us to do? And God, I pray for the people in this room or that are listening that have yet to choose you. And I pray that this moment, in this day, at this time, that Jesus, they would choose you. And God, in that moment, you promise in scripture that in that moment that they become chosen, adopted into your family, they receive a spirit of adoption, of freedom, that you declare them as your child, called out of darkness in your marvelous light, now a treasured possession, part of a royal priesthood, a chosen race. So God, for those of us in this room that have put our faith in Jesus, that we know that we are God, your child, perhaps even during this song, we would be praying for those in this room within earshot that they would choose Jesus because we want this family to grow. Brothers and sisters, in all of our diversity, in all of our unique quirks, bound up in you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and all of God say together as one family. Amen.